This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Uh, we love this time of year. Christmas is around the corner, but more importantly, the Hearts and Mind Conference is coming up. Absolutely. And we get the opportunity to speak to some of the best investors in Australia and around the world. Uh, we had Benit a couple of weeks ago, which was a cracker of an interview, and I'm pumped for this one as well. Same, Ren. Uh, can't wait for this. It is our pleasure to welcome Yen Liao from New York. Yen, welcome. Thank you so much, uh, Bryce and Rand. This is uh, such an honor. I'm, I'm in Midtown Manhattan. You can see it, sun's setting behind me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wish uh, I was back in Oz to, to, to celebrate the hearts and minds with you all, but um, hopefully this is one of the last Zooms we all have to put up with, <laughs> uh, but we'll make sure we make it fun. And, uh, you know, it's such an honor to be part of the, the hearts and minds uh, community. And, and uh, thank you to you and your listeners for the, this opportunity to share some thoughts. For those who haven't come across Yen before, he is the managing partner at Araft Global. He is presenting at this year's Sown Hearts and Minds Investment Leaders Conference, which is now in its sixth year. And uh, as we've uh, heard from Benit and we're about to hear from Yen, it's an amazing cause. Um, there's uh, The conference has 12 local and international fund managers all pitching their highest conviction stocks. We've got a headliner, uh, Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway. Big headliner. Big headliner. <laughs> Yen, you must be pumped to be part of this conference when uh, Charlie's making an appearance. Oh, mate, it's the first time that I've ever had the chance to present uh, in a conference where Charlie's speaking. And I dare say it's pretty safe to say that uh, it's the same thing he could say about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, uh, for our Equity Mates community, it is, uh, it's usually uh, an in-person event. However, this year, uh, it's great that it's online and on demand. Uh, uh, you will have access. Tickets are $500. 
but for the Equity Mates community, for the first 50 people, we have a 20% offer. So head to sownheartsandminds.com.au. There'll be a link in the show notes. And Equity Mates is the code that you need to use. One word, Equity Mates, to get that 20% off. It's an awesome conference, Ren. And uh, look, 12 of the best pitching their highest conviction stocks. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. But Yen, uh, in this interview, we want to cover uh, a little bit about your background, uh, a little bit about how you invest, uh, and then a few themes that are on your mind and are of interest to the Equity Mates community. But let's start at the very beginning where we always like to start these interviews, the story of your first investment. Uh, we generally find there's a good story or a good lesson that comes out of it. So to kick us off today, can you tell us the story of your first investment? Uh, absolutely. So I've got two for you. One is the actual very first stock I ever bought was Santos when I was 14. So classic Aussie oil and gas company. And to, to say that I didn't know what I was doing uh, would be an understatement. And that probably <laughs> persisted for 16 more years, by the way, until I hit about 30 and started professional investing. So I'm going to share quickly that story. And as well as I'll give you my first professional nice. investment, because I think there's key lessons in all of this. So Santos was, you know, part of the, the you know, the Australian elite of the oil and gas industry. And, and when I saved up from all my summer jobs and had the chance to finally buy a stock, I picked it for no particular reason, except, you know, obviously close to home and, and, um, and it created a lot of value over time and felt safer. What I would say is, you know, over time, I really discovered that it had almost none of the characteristics that I look for in a stock. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, we invest in emergent and established monopolies and oligopolies. Now where earnings power in the hands of great management teams over time compounds a tremendous amount of wealth. So it took me you know, better part of, of multiple decades after that to refine to what actually really works. And in this conversation, I'm sure we'll dive into that. But there are some real patterns of outlier performance that are enduring over multiple decades. And it takes a lot of work to decode it. And I clearly, frankly, didn't understand any of that for the first 16 years of my private <laughs> investing life. So from 14 through 30. And then it took another at least another 10 years of professional investing to work some of that out. On the professional side, so I had started my professional investing career at just before I was 30. And this was coming out of the dot-com boom and bust. So I worked for a firm called Ziff Brothers Investments in New York. It's one of the largest private family offices in the world. And how it really started was in the summer of 2000. Uh, this was literally, the I was at business school, at Harvard Business School, and the, the dot-com boom and bust was apexing that summer. And so the start of the summer, I was actually working on a startup with Barry Diller's Interactive Corp, and that blew up really fast. And then by the second half of the summer, I spent it at Ziff Brothers, and they put me on what ended up being the mother of all shorts in that decade, which was shorting almost the entire internet infrastructure ecosystem. Wow. wow. And so, you know, this was an incredible time where there was literally hundreds of billion dollars of value that were created in a very short period of time. Uh, lots of listed companies, whether they were operators or equipment providers, there was just the euphoria of the dot-com boom where the, the, the exponential growth in internet demand and data growth and all these things were happening and everybody chasing to try to supply the bandwidth and connectivity to create the internet as we know it today. It was a very surreal moment for me as we operated in a market neutral structure, but it was like we asked just one simple, really easy question, which is really difficult to solve because did any of this math make sense? You had exponential demand and you had exponential plus supply. And were these really good businesses? Even though growth looked amazing, are these good businesses? And so for me, you know, this took literally months and months, hundreds and thousands of hours of work 
by the way, really difficult from an execution perspective. I want to give credit for this was the largest win, the first nine digit win of my career. It was at the start of it and it started on the short side. And that was because I worked for a phenomenal portfolio manager named Ian McKinnon and had a whole group around us. But this was a time when everybody was tilting, you know, very, very bullish and didn't ask the simple question. And so one of the most important parts for us that we invest in monopoly and emergent and established monopolies and oligopoly growth stocks is growth without sustainable or durable drivers and unit economics that can't be sustained when you win aren't really that valuable. And so at the really at the start of my professional career was this euphoric, incredible growth rate, but it was filled by, frankly, very low quality businesses that got absolutely crushed when things settled down and reality started showing itself in the numbers. So those were my two first instances. <laughs> two <laughs> unbelievable stories. Uh, I think the fact that your first professional trade was a nine-digit win and you were 30 uh, really puts uh, Bryce and I being uh, al- almost 30 and 30 respectively in context. <laughs> uh, it was a really, really amazing time. So, Yen, then in the 1990s, you were a consultant for Bain in Silicon Valley, the Wild West at the time. Um, what did you learn about businesses during this time, you know, especially from sort of a growth and tech point of view. So, and you know, this was uh, this was prior to business school. So, just you know, the other side of that of that story that I was telling you about. So, I was a consultant at Bain Company for five years. One of the the companies that was very transformative from my experience as an investor and as a businessman was Dell Computers. And so, this is a company that went up, you know, hundredfold in through through the nineties uh, in the period that I was there, and tenfold even in the period that I was with them in Asia. And the first thing I will say to you is there's a vast difference between a good business and a good management team. And just because you have a good business doesn't mean it naturally is going to be able to scale. So a great idea that isn't in the hands of a highly capable management team is not going to make it. And it's very, very nuanced. But if you stop and think about, you know, there's a lot of growth, a lot of innovation. I personally think this is the greatest time in history to be alive, right? In the history of mankind, we are seeing things that are truly incredible real time right now. And you're seeing businesses and wealth creation at a level that's frankly quite staggering and not at all normal by the, his- by the standards of history. But if you step back and just stop thinking about the math of something like that is growing at 30 or 50%, and then you put five or 10 years against that, these are businesses that are literally 10 to 50 times bigger, whether it's headcount revenues or other in those timeframes. That is a staggering number to try to get your head around when you actually convert it down to the human elements of building a business. And so the first thing I'll tell you is one of the things I learned about that was the technology was revolutionary, but people are still people. And in order to execute a business plan, it always comes bound to execution. The second thing I'll say that's relevant to today is that was an era where capital markets funded all of that insanity and the survivors created the Amazons of the world and there was a lot of failures. Today, the private world is funding that in, in the US, but the rest of world, interestingly enough, what we've found is so businesses are staying private a lot later. Rest of world right now from a capital market perspective is still emerging very, especially also back home in Australia. There are great businesses that are emerging into capital markets where the average Joe like you and I get a shot to actually buy them much younger, much earlier. Well, that's still true in rest of the world. And frankly, we've found bountiful opportunities. So that's a couple of quick things for you guys that, you know, it was amazing to see all the revolutionary technology. It was very hard to call who would be the winners out of the gate. You didn't need to. Mm. These were all monopolies in the making at the time. Once the monopolies were established, they last for decades and you can make a lot of money once they're established. But always it comes back down to, it's not just the idea. 
Can the team actually execute the idea? And it's not about the straights. You've got to get the turns right. And there's some, and the greatest management teams can handle the turns. Love that. Uh, the tech was revolutionary, but people are still people. That's a good, good uh, quote to, to use for this episode. After your time at Bain uh, in Silicon Valley, you went and worked uh, at a family office, uh, one of the biggest uh, family offices in America. Family offices uh, uh, fascinate us because, you know, they think generationally as investors. They can be truly patient and they can really, you know, I guess think long-term and let ideas play out. What what did you learn as an investor uh, and in particular as a long-term investor um, in your time in a family office? So, I mean, the essence of investing is effectively, you know, combining a strong uh, amount of capital compounding and unleashing time. You put the two together is how you get you know, generational multiples of capital. But I think the single most ta- important takeaway I took away from the Ziff family was their mantra that the quality of the person matters more than their experience always. So if you think about it, the longest dated, highest optionality, highest leverage investment you will ever make is your people. Mm. It's not a stock. It's not even a company. It's your people. If you find the right people, everything changes. And this is a family that we ran one of the absolutely largest portfolios in the long, short world, not family offices, in the world. And that group, not one single member of it had public market experience the day before we started it. They wow. invested in a in a team of people that they believed if they invested in the training, had the qualities that they look for in humans that they want to back for long periods of time. And with that comes an unbelievable amount of optionality. But People always over-experience. And so the thing I would just say in studying many of the most successful investors, business people in history, and having seen some of them up close and actually having the opportunity to meet some of them, they'll all tell you that the world belongs to the risk takers, but people are always your best investment. And I believe that Ziff family really understood that in how they curated their community and how they invested in the capability of their people and aligned with them. So, Yen, you eventually then started your own hedge fund, Araft Global, uh, with the name uh, homage to Genghis Khan. So, what, what's the why is that reference important to you? Genghis probably is one of the most misunderstood people in history. And Genghis, with his army of about two hundred thousand cavalrymen, conquered ten million square miles of this earth in thirty years. That's the equivalent of Canada down to Brazil contiguously, 30 years. This is an army with almost with, on land, never lost a single battle. They lost two on sea in 30 years. There's no comparable in history. And so what was most important to me, and it was transformative in my life, was this one key notion of unfair fights. Didn't pick a lot of them, but my goodness, never picked them that where, the, where the odds were even vaguely even. So if you want to do something really epic with your life, and if you want to compound capital at a really extraordinary rate, You've got to be very, very careful in the games you choose and how to play them and only do it when the odds are stacked in your favor. And I think Genghis Khan was, frankly, one of the greatest applied learners in history. This is an illiterate slave who learned how to conquer army after army after army across the entire globe. And he did it because of one key insight. And he had the humility to find the right people. But the key insight was never, ever fight a fair fight always fight where the odds are in your favor, even against armies that are 10 times bigger than you. This was something that he did in all sorts of terrains, and that's the reason for it. Now, the, a raft actually means the number 10. He had a decimalized army. This is the smallest, most humble unit. It's not an elite unit. 
And so it was homage to the greatest applied learner in the history of, of the world, in our view, that created the Silk Road and a bunch of technology, but that was the reason for it. My, my heritage comes from, from northern China, so there was a little bit of geography and a bit of, of wordplay in there, but that's the reason for it. We've touched on your investment philosophy a few times, and it would be great to really get you to expand on it now because uh, it is a fascinating one. You know, you've mentioned the idea of unfair fights. You've mentioned the idea of uh, monopolies with great managers. So um, it would be great if you could really expand on your investment philosophy um, and yeah, how, how you invest. Absolutely. So first of all, there's a lot of things to get right in philosophy, but I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of ways to make money. And it's frankly a lot of ways to make money, more ways to make money in the short term than there are in the long term. And you have to decide where you want to play in the spectrum. But first of all, I want to just say there is no right way in philosophy. There is no way. There's lots of ways. In fact, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about investing is there are just so many ways, right? And I think what makes them interesting is you have to work out empirically why a strategy is going to be enduring and then work out how to actually exploit and monetize it. And so for us, this is, by the way, just as a reminder of this, this is a multi-trillion dollar industry we're competing against, right? And if it was easy, trust me, it's not valuable <laughs> because everybody's trying to do it, mm. right? So you have to work out what it is about the enduring patterns decoded in real depth so you can hold up under extreme volatility and be selective in deploying your time and then rinse and repeat it. So here's a couple of things for us. I spent almost 15 years decoding the right and the left tail of capital markets. What that means is studying the base rate, breaking apart company after company after company through case study methodology, what had really worked on five and 10 year rolling bases? What kind of, what was the defining factors in these stocks? What drove the math? Like this is the one over my way I pick Santos, right? Is like, <laughs> you've got to be able to look at this universe of 3000 plus global stocks. And why is it that these are the 20 that you want to invest in? And what do you want to spend your time on the 30 or 40 to, you know, around it? Once you have conviction that you understand it, your use of time increases through the roof. So what is our, our philosophy? And here are the base elements to it. So the core tenet of what we do is we invest in emergent and established monopolies, and oligopolies that grow earnings power 20 to 30% plus and trade at reasonable prices. It's a GARP type strategy. So let's break down each part of that. First of all, we, we think game selection is the most important thing you ever do as a leader and as an investor. What does that mean? Pick a game that you can win that's valuable. If you don't do that out of the gate, you're already playing from behind. So that's the whole notion of unfair fights. Unfair fights is twofold. One is we back companies that have extraordinary high win rates. Why? Because then all you're focusing on is pricing inefficiency. That's a lot easier when the two things are fluxing. If you pick the first game really well, you just wait for the right entry point. The second part is then you as an investor have to find the right, why it's an unfair fight. If you're comp- why is it me to be able to monetize those investments? And you have to have good answers to both. The next part of this is the industrial design. And two parts of this is, first of all, you know, we firmly believe in preparation. We believe markets are efficient most of the time, but not all the time. And it doesn't take a lot if you run a concentrated portfolio and you're prepared to be able to exploit that. So one of the core elements of our philosophy in our true north is we believe earnings power or free cash flow per share over time is the number one driver of total return. In the short term, which we would define as less than two years, multiple is what drives the majority of return 
from year three through five or hopefully 10 plus, it's almost exclusively earnings power. So what you want to be able to find are businesses that have enduring, powerful earnings power, get them at a reasonable price and let them loose. And that's the reason why we centered on emergent and established monopolies and oligopolies when you have great businesses that can grow fast and they're really protected and immunized from strong competition, you get to capture strong rents. But the last part of this is it needs to be matched with an industrial design. And so our industrial design does not require a single new stock in any given year to generate in-year performance. In fact, in 2017, we bought one stock spanning 17 months. It was a big year we had that year, right? And then in a crisis, we might buy, it's hyperactive for us as three stocks, but we're prepared. Our guys and gals are always preparing. For us to be lucky, we have to be prepared. And so the thing that we can control is how prepared are we? We can't control when our stocks actually perform. We can't even, we can't even uh, prepare or determine when they'll go into the portfolio that we have to cede to the market but we must be prepared. So those are the key elements of our, of our philosophy. So yeah, monopolies, you know, can often get complacent and, and become sort of slow growing. They're not those companies you think about, uh, you know, some of the big ones here in Australia or even the oligopolies, they're not the, the sexy stocks that are growing incredibly quickly. So, so how do you think about that and, and sort of balance that trade-off? Um, so the most important element here of, and again, it's emergent and established monopolies and oligopolies, and it's combined with high growth. So if you have a monopoly and oligopoly that's low growth, and and our true north there again, Bryce, is like over time, if all your earnings power is growing at 5%, and that includes cash flow, that's all you should expect it to return over a 10-year period, right? You got to trade for the multiple to generate anything more than that. Mm. We're buying stocks that even when there is established monopolies are growing north of 20%. And if you get a good entry point, you can let it ride for ages. Our cost of capital is 20%. Our mission is 20% net for 20 years. We're trying to 38 or 40x our capital over two decades. We think, we think that's a generational goal, right? And that's something worthy of, of, our, of our focus. And so the monopolies and oligopolies that we are focused on, the emergent ones are growing the fastest. Those are the ones that are becoming a monopoly or an oligopoly. They're highly dominant in their elements of, it's usually either subparts of markets, they're disrupting either an existing monopoly or they're disrupting a, a fragmented market structure. Or you're talking about companies that once they're already clearly proven they've won, they're just very large markets relative to the size of their business and can continuously grow at a very fast clip. So it's not the staid old monopolies that you're thinking about. Mm. The reason monopolies and oligopolies matter so much is they preserve your unit economics. They preserve your returns on capital. They have very high win rate. And most importantly, in liquid markets, they're incredibly predictable. And that allows you to exploit volatility mm. or at least at worst withstand it. So forget the uh, slow growing duopoly of Coles and Woolworths yeah, back yeah, in yeah. Australia. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're talking <laughs> by, about. By, <laughs> by definition, we don't even look at those. In fact, again, there's like 3000 plus stocks in the world. In fact, if you include all this, all the, the really smaller ones, there's probably closer to 10,000 addressable companies you could hunt from. But for us, there's probably two to 300 ever. If that, we don't even need that that fit the quality of what we do. Mm. And we're only looking for 20. So a concentrated long duration portfolio, literally, we don't need a single stock in the next 12 months to hit our return goals. And that takes the pressure off forcing positions. Um, I'll say one last thing for the young analysts on this on, that are listening to this podcast. This is the one key thing that drove it for us from a game selection perspective. You could spend thousands of hours 
on a lower quality cyclical business or highly competitive business. And there is no link between the work you've done to predict the future. Because that one element of competition, it breaks the link between the past and the future. They could wake up the next day and your competitor goes, price war, mm. and everything you assert, gone. Or it could be <laughs> COVID, you know, your assumptions are just gone. In COVID, our businesses didn't become more competitive. The flow-through rate changed, but none of our businesses all of a sudden became worse because of COVID. Yes, there was more uncertainty, but the quality of the businesses were the same. And so it reduced the number of variables. And so this was the most important decision in my career, actually, is once we focused in on this is the one, now all the work that we do when we spend, you know, two, three, four thousand hours on a position, we know eventually we'll monetize that. We don't have to worry about, oh my God, it's only one time, it's an event stock, and I've got to get it in now, or all that work is a waste of time. This stuff is more when, not if. And mm-hmm. it's most importantly, it's the link between your effort and what you're predicting. Yeah. 4,000 hours on a position. I take about four minutes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have, you know, we have a couple of positions that we're now, you know, a life of fund, about a third of our capital has been uh, invested for the entire life of our fund. And uh, we have a couple of stocks that usually it's between 500 and 1,000 hours would be in, you know, before we even get it into the portfolio. But there's a couple that are probably bordering on between three and 4,000 at this point. Wow. And it's more not that we're trying to study the business and we already understand the essence of it. I just think when you study quality, they teach you so much about yourself as a person and business in general. And, you know, 4,000 is probably a little high. My guess is probably closer to 2,000 or 3,000. But it's like the, the biggest point is like when you study really, really high quality businesses and high quality leaders, you're always learning. Mm, yeah. and, and that's the benefit of it. You don't need to monitor these. There's no channel checks you need for stuff like this. It's, it's just learning deeply about how, how do you evolve a business of this level of quality. Mm. So, Yen, I think uh, our audience will be calling out for us to ask this question at this point. Your philosophy, it's incredibly compelling. The idea of going for 20% returns for 20 years, if people do the maths on that, they'll, they'll realize just how transformative that could be. So let's get specific. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of companies that you think fit this investment philosophy, whether or not you hold them in the fund. uh, Obviously, this isn't, you know, buy, hold or sell advice, but more just companies that fit the bill um, of these, you know, fast growing monopolies or oligopolies. Yeah, I'm going to share a couple with you and uh, uh, two different companies, two different industries. And I'll, I'll, there's also one other enabling condition for the 10x versus the 100x. And the 10x, and these are all roughly 10x stocks, 100x is more like venture investing in public markets. 10x is usually more growth equity. So I'm going to pitch you two growth equity stocks. One is Semla Scientific. It's about $800 million med tech company in the United States. And the second one is Keyword Studios, about a $2 billion pound company based out of Ireland. So Semla Scientific creates a, a product called uh, Quantiflow. So the disease in the United States um, is called peripheral arterial disease. For the elderly above 65, as you age, your blood circulation to your extremities goes down. And this tool is a sensor on your finger and a sensor on your toe. And, it can, and the, the diagnostics are done in the cloud. You plug it into a laptop and it goes into the cloud. And after three minutes, they can tell you where is the person in the spectrum or not. This is a highly disruptive technology. So this is a business just for you, for the, for the finance analysts behind us. This is a business that's growing mid-30s with 91% gross margins, 50% EBITDA margins. Wow. <laughs> Trading at low 30s cash flow next year. And this is 5% penetrated of the first addressable market. So they are only 5% penetrated on the... On, on the above 65 age demographic in the United States, it's disrupting the standard of care. It's becoming the standard of care. Their clients, by the way, greatest businesses always create tremendous value for their clients. 
the return on investment for their clients, which are insurance companies and home risk assessment, these are nursing uh, companies that go to your home, is 50 to 100 times return on the investment. So they, they pay similar a fee. They benefit in that year about 150 to 100 <laughs> times return on investment. And so this is a company that we think is incredibly disruptive. We believe there's four different shots on goal. And this is a, this is shot number one that's less than 5% penetrated. It's a business that's growing mid-30s with extraordinary... These are SaaS-type, software-type unit economics in med tech. It's got a very high reoccurring base to it. And we believe the second product is now just started hitting market with its first client. So you'll have a second TAM or total addressable market that's hitting it at an incredibly reasonable price. And so when we got went back to high win rate, you want unfair fights for the company and you want unfair fights for us. If this business literally was a $3 billion company, it's a NASDAQ listed company, it would trade at a far, far larger valuation. And these mid cap stocks, which I know the Aussies love, the mid cap stocks, you know, you can find these pockets of inefficiency trading for crazy, like reasonable prices. And we believe similar is one of them. Um, the second one is Keyword Studios. So the video gamers in us, this is a company that you you all use, but you don't even know it. So <laughs> Keyword Studios is the largest provider of outsourced video game services in the video game world. So 19 of the top 20 video game publishers in the world are their clients. Um, this is a 2 billion company out of Ireland. Organic growth is mid-20s. And they do a bunch of roll-ups as well because it's a very fragmented industry, adds another 25%. So this top line has been growing at 50 for the past five years. The whole play here is the motion picture and TV industry is about 95% outsourced. The, the video game industry is 35% outsourced and it's going exactly in the same way. So video games used to be these you know, $100 million plus developments where you generated a console cycle and then, and then you published another one. Now, as they're all on the internet, they're actually going through a constant cycle of upgrading their games. Keywords is by a mile the largest provider of those services. So this ranges from everything from testing and debugging new releases to hyper-localization. So games now are published in over 100 languages, almost 200 countries. You have artwork, you have language, you have music, you have player support, you have testing, you have marketing. All of that is what Keywords does. But that's the organic story. So, you know, I've been a video game investor for almost 20 years. That is That industry grows low teens. You've got an outsourcing trend. These guys take market share. That's what creates that top line, almost 20 plus percent natural tailwind. And then on top of that, they are an unbelievable capital allocator. When you buy moms and pops, generally speaking, these are smaller studios of between 10 to 30 people. And one large publisher will be 40, 50% of their revenues. So that will get you a very nice discount on the price because it's risky on a standalone basis. Well, when you put that as part of the, the family, that's no longer a risk. And there's lots of synergies when you bring it into the family that you can enhance the total return, the profitability and the growth rate of these businesses. And so the acquisition premiums, which is half of what it trades for anyway, gets cut in half again as they as they grow these businesses over the following three years. So Keywords, we believe, has a growth rate of between 25 and 50% over the next five years. Trades at about you know low 40s. It's not the cheapest optical stock in the short term, but we believe there's enormous secular tailwinds here and what we call an advantaged acquirer in allocating that capital. But these are businesses which I would put in the category of emergent monopolies and oligopolies. They're very stable unit economics. They're displacing, similar is displacing the existing standard of care. It's not even close. The other, the other existing technology can't compete with similar technology. It's literally better, faster, cheaper. 
And in keyword situation, they're literally creating the industry. They are at least 10 times bigger than the next player. And so they enjoy monopolistic type rents. Wow. wow. Love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two awesome companies. And I'm sure uh, a lot of the community are frantically Googling both of those. Yeah. And so before we um, jump to having a quick chat about leadership and then also the payments sector, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Yen, uh, I want to just quickly touch on leadership. You've obviously studied it a lot and you've made the case at the start that there is nothing more important than people. We spoke to one of your, your friends, Benit, as, as you know, uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Zuckerberg was perhaps one of the greatest uh, business leaders of all time, um, which I'm sure would have ruffled a few feathers, but uh, <laughs> good call. What do you look for in a leader or what has the research shown uh, are some of the key characteristics that they share, you know, these really good leaders that you're, you're looking for and investing in? Oh, ph- phenomenal question, Bryce. And and look, there's a huge genre of this. And, and before we even get to leadership, I think, uh, look, that's the essence of the question because there's leadership, but ultimately, you know, people talk about culture. And I think this is overused without enough nuance into it. The real thing that we're looking for is we want to partner with ownership mindset people. Right? You want firms that think like owners, act like owners, but there's four criteria that we look for in aggregate. Let's come back to leadership in a second. The first is you want ethical people. You always want to deal with ethical people. And by the way, this is the number one mistake all young investors, myself absolutely included, make, which is you think price can compensate you with a dodgy person. It can't. Oh, let me just save you the money now. Like no contract, no amount, no price will ever save you from a dodgy person, period. Everybody makes the mistake. I'm sorry, there's only one way to learn it. I hope it's just a cheaper mistake from this lesson. The second then is you want world-class capability. Best in class, it's dwarfs. It just crushes average. And you have to study what that means in execution. So growth investing is very different from turnaround investing. Capital allocation is different from those. Again, you have to study what is the skill and then how what the metrics of the skill to define how good are they. Third is you want them hungry. You don't want to inject any energy into your leaders. Mm. If they aren't waking up in the morning and just are so pumped about going to, to fight for the business and, and the people and, and, and their clients, that's not your guy or gal. The last one is alignment. Um, you want to be aligned with people. You don't want to manage people. If you're aligned with highly capable people, good things happen. And then the last thing I'll say, uh, Bryce, is like, I think the best leaders of this generation, Steve Jobs obviously has passed away now, but, you know, Reed Hastings, Bezos and Elon Musk, the difference is not just the straights, it's the turns. So it's one thing to be able to floor it and go hard in a straight. What defines great managers is they can pivot. 
They can make the hard decisions. So what Benit was talking about with Zuckerberg, which is unbelievable at this scale, a trillion dollar business where he's pivoting and going, you know what? The metaverse is the next big one. Mm. And I need to invest $10 billion a year to do it. Wow, that is such a gutsy thing to mm. do. And it takes an extraordinary leader. Like, you know, what Reed Hastings had to do with Netflix, yeah. literally to burn his original business and say, that's not the future. I have to, I have to sink it to get to the future. Extraordinary. The bet on Amazon Prime for, for Jeff Bezos, right? These are visionaries who have the guts where they go, wow, the current path, while good, is not great. And I have to make the call that's painful but I am the leader and, and I, and for me to lead, I have to make the harder call. Mm. That is incredible. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely mm. incredible. And when you see them, you have to call them. I have to just tell you, you don't have that many people on the planet who can do what, you know, some of the people that we just described have done, but we look for the turns. The turns tells you more about the person and their capability than the straights. The straights is still hard. Don't get me wrong. To scale something 10 times bigger in the straights is hard. But the turns is where the tells are. Yeah, and you've had some uh, great quotes uh, in this in this interview, and the t- it's about the turns, not the straights. Is another one. We wanted to turn to payments because uh, you're speaking to a primary, primarily Australian audience, and <laughs> uh, if you've been an Australian investor in the last five years, buy now, pay later has been front of mind. So uh, we know all about payments down here. Uh, but your fund's biggest holding is PayPal, so I assume you're all across the payment space as well. Well, the, the question we want to ask is uh, why PayPal specifically, but then I guess just more generally, what, what are your thoughts on the future of the payments industry? So PayPal now is you know, more of a mid-sized position for us. We've owned this since this uh, since it was spun out in PayPal. And frankly, I've followed PayPal even before, well before uh, through eBay, uh, before it got spun out. So we've owned it in good size since 2015. You know, the quick thesis on, on PayPal, and, and then let's get into the broader payment spectrum. And, and, and by the way, Afterpay, this is again where, you know, I think it's so awesome that the, the Aussies are out innovating the world. I mean, this is <laughs> like, you know, and, and I'll put my hand up and absolutely tell you how horrified I am that I missed that ride. And this was something that we... <laughs> We tried our hardest and I didn't get there. And that's like, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it would have been nice to even get a little bit of that. Uh, but we did not. Um, so PayPal, the thesis wasn't literally, I'd followed this company for almost 10 years before it listed, was it just had a dominant position in online e-commerce, but even more so in mobile. So its footprint was more valuable in mobile than it was even in desktop. And obviously it was a play on e-commerce, but we believe that just one of the strongest secular trends here was, was the move to mobile. And so that provided the right to all of this other optionality that we thought was was always going to come, but we couldn't really see all of it when we started that investment almost six plus years ago now. So the buy now, pay later, um, this was another area that we thought PayPal is absolutely prime time to be able to replicate really quickly. And in fact, that's that thesis has proven to be true. So Afterpay is still done great and we don't have the data now because it's part of Stripe, but it's like we believe that this in one year that PayPal's already replicated almost 75, 80% of the scale of Afterpay in a single year. It's just, again, the size. This is what, you know, beachhead strong monopolistic positions or oligopolistic positions can do. When your base is this large, you can implement new strategies and and push them out really wide. Now, payments in general. Wow. Uh, Look, this is an area that is, is... this is why I think it's the most exciting time in the history of mankind to be alive. The innovation across the board is just astonishing. And uh, you can't talk about payments without talking about crypto. And, um, you know, even before you get to crypto, there are just really, really cool innovations that in the absence of, you know, digitizing the economy, uh, 
you could never do this on a hyper-democratized basis before. The analog world had lots of frictions. You know, all of the, the solutions that were just making up for tough analog friction. The digital world just has a lot less friction and that allows a ton more innovation. And so what we're seeing across the board, first of all, and Buffett said this, I think when the creation of the, of the um, Warren Buffett said this when the creation of automobiles, it's easy to know that horses are out, but it's hard to pick the winner, <laughs> right? Like it's easier to know that some are going to be losers than it is to be able to pick the winner. And by the way, once the winner, you don't need to pick the winner before, once it emerges, it becomes pretty obvious and then you can ride it for a really long time, but you also want to get out of the way of what's being hammered. And so in payments, you know, it, and it comes back to Bryce's question earlier. I mean, we also own Visa. We've owned that for a very, very long time. And there are profit pools in every single business model that you have to understand if the new technologies are going to disrupt it and deflate it very aggressively. And so action number one for us in payments is understanding how our current positions get affected. And then action number two is like, okay, where are the emergent uh, monopolies and oligopolies in the making. Crypto, I take very seriously. So I'm not the expert. I just want to start with that. I'm not the expert on crypto. However, I have deep respect for what's going on in blockchain in general. We don't really focus too much on the currencies. I think the currencies are an expression of something far larger and frankly, far faster in its adoption rate. Blockchain is a revolutionary technology. So it's manifested through payments in some shape or form at the moment, but there's plenty of other applications. And this is why I think it's the most one of the most important technologies that you have to stop and pay attention to. All of commerce is based on trust. Without trust, you have no form of exchange. You need rule of law and a means of exchange. And distributed trust digitally is the essence of blockchain. Mm. That is an incredibly transformative notion, mathematical blind trust. And that will allow the economy to unleash the speed of trust. And so that's what we're focused on is how does this blockchain technology get implemented in all of its various forms, whether it's smart contracts or exchanges, whether it's uh, there's just so many different manifestations of it. At the moment, we're still studying it to try to fully understand it. But in payments, the main mechanism right now is there are plenty of use cases which are frankly being over monetized, which are really profound opportunities in both insurance and payments that I think are obvious. And we've seen the first generation of them uh, already, but there's a lot more to come. Mm, it's fascinating. It's one of those sectors that is uh, the more experts that we speak to, you know, the more obvious it becomes that it, we're at this awesome time of getting into something that's going to be truly transformational and early, but still it's just like, where do you even start? It's yeah. <laughs> I also think we could probably chart the experts we've spoken to since tw from when we started in 2017 to now and chart the differing views on crypto. You know, 2017, it was just overwhelming bubble, no town. value. <laughs> yeah. And now I, I think in the last two years, people have really started to be like, there's something here. Mm, yeah, mm. I'm in that camp. So to be fully clear, and I live through obviously internet version 1.0 and 2.0, right? And the start of them, the difference between fads and what emerges is a very fine line, mm. right? And before it goes fully mainstream, I think the technology was always clear, but it's really, really hard to, like, I don't have a view on if, if Bitcoin, what's the value of Bitcoin? I don't have a view. I, I believe there is something there, but I don't know what it's really worth. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't respect the technology that underpins it. Mm. And, and I do believe that's transformative. Well, Yen, before we move to our final three, we'll have a quick chat about hearts and minds. As, as you mentioned off air, it's um, something that is, is uh, important to you. So, so why is 
participating in the Hearts and Minds Conference important? Well, for, first of all, it's a it's a real honour to be part of the the, the Sewn Hearts and Minds Conference. Uh, you know, for me, it's a chance to reconnect back home. It's been a while since I left Melbourne, and <laughs> uh, it's just such an honour, uh, frankly, to be involved and actually to see the leadership that this community has created in aligning the investment community and, and the and the you know the medical research community. So, like a core thematic for me. I literally think this is one of the greatest times in history to be alive. And medical research is a really important part of the next couple of decades. And Australia has always had a strong history of research that has impacted the world. And I love it that, you know, this community of hearts and minds over the past five or six years now has raised over $30 million and handed it to many of our, you know, industry leading researchers to impact the world. I actually don't do many public pitches ever and the reason I'm doing this is, I, first of all, I just think it's such an honor to be able to come home and, and share some of our thoughts. But I love the alignment that our best ideas are going to create value for the research community out of Australia that I truly do believe is going to impact the world. And so when they made the call, we lent in without hesitation. It's just such an honor. We know the own organization in New York. And I'll, I have to say, I'm, I'm so impressed with what I've learned, both, both from a hearts and minds structural perspective. I think it's brilliant what they've done with HM1 and looking through to, the, you know, the, the group of researchers that, that they've sponsored. I'm just excited and frankly honored again to be part of this. This is something I firmly believe in. I think medical technology is, re- is, is on the precipice of the next two decades that are going to frankly change our whole, you know, many of the assumptions that we hold about the world. It is just such a great cause and the, the people that contribute to it, um, you know, the, the quality of the managers and the quality of the people, it's something to uh, really behold. So we're really excited to play our own small part here at Equity Mates. Uh, but Yen, we were reading in the uh, AFR that you've promised a, quote, whopper of a stock pick. So we're, Jeez, putting the pressure we're, on. We're pretty pumped. And especially after this conversation today, some of the companies you've spoken about, I am expecting big things. Um, but, but, you know, for us, uh, we have uh, sort of grown up as long-term investors. Everyone we speak to is is very long-term. You've just spoken about how you're looking to compound capital at 20% for 20 years. And so uh, the Hearts and Minds pick must present a bit of a challenge because you've got to pick a great company, but you've also got to pick one that has a catalyst in the next 12 months. How do you approach that uh, additional layer of analysis? So, Ren, uh, you've already nailed it. So, first of all, you know, in general, we don't try to shoot for 12-month returns. Our preferred holding period is actually forever. (laughs) <laughs> right. So in general, our underwriting is five to 10 years, but our preferred holding period is optionality forever. And so to you know define a 12 month, you know, really high performing stock. And frankly, the pressure is even higher because I desperately want to come home to do this on stage with you guys <laughs> next year. Uh, so the pressure is really heavy for me. But, you know, so what's the, what's the catalyst and, and how does it drive? So, you know, and I think Benit said this really well. It's like for the short term, like north 100 percent return, you need a change. You need a re-rating. You need multiple to be a kicker. And so there's a couple of different ways I can tell you guys just generically how to do this, but how we do it specifically is one version. We call them coilers. So coiling, when you uncoil it, is how you create 100% return in a 12-month period. And that's multiple and earnings power combined creates that outcome. And so what triggers that re-rating? So one of the things for us, the re-ratings are caused by either changes in perception of the quality of an asset or changes in perception of stage of a cycle. And so the stock that we're going to pitch is a classic, like really long-dated monopoly. Um, and that has been severely impacted by COVID. 
but we believe the long-term trend is 30 years of history and human nature, which we firmly do not believe COVID changed. And like the Aussies are going to unleash when this catalyst hits. And that's the wave we're riding. So we're going to, we're talking about a multiple re-rating back or through historical bounds because we believe the ricochet is huge. We believe the earnings coiling is playing a 30 year trend that we just believe frankly, is categorically unchanged. In fact, there'll be an echo boom on the other side of it. <laughs> and you put the two together and it's going to happen sometime in the next, like we do believe firmly it's in the next 12 months. A lot of that value will, will, will uncoil in that first 12 months. But yeah, we'll make great money in the next year. But my God, we'll make even more in year three, four, five, six on this thing. And so we're coming hard and um, yeah, we can't wait to pitch and, and uh, it, it would make it, nothing would make us happier than, than HM1 absolutely destroying it on the back of one of our picks. So we, 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 we're rooting hard for it. Well, Yen, I'm so, so excited so to see pumped. what the pitch is. I've got a few ideas of uh, what it could be, but I will uh, let it play out on the 3rd of December. That, but that's a great opportunity just to chime in and remind the Equitymates community that if you do want to hear Yen's uh, whopper of a stock pick plus the 11 other local <laughs> and international fund managers, then uh, you have the opportunity to do so. Head to the Sown Hearts and Minds uh, website. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes. Tickets are 500, but for the Equity Mates community, for the lucky first 50, there's a 20% off code of equity mates so that's four hundred dollars and this could be one of the best investments that you ever make having the opportunity to, to listen to these guys talk uh you will also hear from charlie munger and mit institute professor robert langer who is the co-founder of moderna but also on the side um Hearts and Minds have a listed investment as well. Its uh, ticker is HM1 and in it invests in a portfolio of high conviction stocks, including those that are pitched at the conference. And in lieu of management fees, uh, HM1 donates the 1.5% uh, to Australian medical research each year, as Yen has already discussed. So a great opportunity for you to invest in the stocks that are pitched and uh, a core portfolio as well. So um, yeah, we love it and uh, definitely go and check it out. But don't miss that opportunity to see uh, these amazing stock picks. Mm. Now, Yen, we could talk uh, investing in stocks all day, but uh, we are <laughs> running out of time. So uh, we want to say a massive thank you for uh, taking the time today to speak to us. Uh, we do like to finish with the same three questions in every interview, and we've got a fourth bonus one for the HM1 speakers. So we'll get stuck into that. Uh, and the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yeah, it's a life changer for me. And I even named my fund after it. It's called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. I think it's a top five book of, all, of uh, investment book of all time, frankly. And I think it's a brilliant book um, written by a guy called Professor Jack Weatherford. And again, comes down just to the essence of this. Investing really is competitive learning, right? It's applied competitive learning. That's what we're doing. And I believe Khan was the greatest applied learner in history. And this book is an absolute showstopper. Um, I just can't recommend it strongly enough. I, uh, I learned so much from reading this and I, I don't even know how many times I read it at this point. So get, the book is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Love that. This episode has like 10 key quotes. I was about Yen, to say the same thing. <laughs> that it, Yen's just pumping out. <laughs> investing is competitive yeah, key learning. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice one, Yen. Well, if, uh, if we might need to do a book of uh, Yen quotes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but the se- the second question we like to end these interviews with, uh, forget valuation, uh, forget you know what they're trading at right now, just purely looking at the company's fundamentals. What's the best company you've ever come across? First of all, I would say, you know, as a, I like clusters too, because it clusters just tell you, wow, it's not just the company. There's a, something about the industry. First cluster, I'll tell you, I think software in general has an unbelievable number of great businesses. So these are subscription businesses, very low churn, huge margins, very high uh, return on capital, natural tailwinds. They're, they lend themselves to winner take most, if not winner take all. They naturally have high growth. But these are really fast growing monopolies. So just to narrow a few, you know, let's go back home. I think Atlassian's got to be on the, on that list, right? I think Adobe, GitLab, Okta, ServiceNow, Snowflake, all of these businesses are amazing. Evolution Gaming, these are businesses that have naturally ridiculously powerful tailwinds into big total addressable markets with very, very high unit uh, economics. However, I'll give you one company. And we own it, to be fully clear, because I believe industry structure, great company, and management team is the trifecta. And by the way, the names of the companies I I listed before, I respect them all, great teams. But the one that's been most close to my heart is a company called Transdime. And Transdime is an aerospace company. So just quickly for your listeners, an aerospace company that focuses, it's one third defense, the rest of it is aftermarket civil aerospace, of which 90%, 9-0 has no second sourced product. <laughs> wow. Right? This is a literal monopoly, right? And so for me, they chose a phenomenal industry, aerospace, natural tailwind, six, five to 6% tailwind every single year, 30 years. So the, the core business is insanely strong. That's a 35 to 40 year analog monopoly they own. It's life of the platform of the plane, right? Like you don't get technological disruption on that. Second is owner operators. Nick Howley is a close friend of, of the firm. He was the founder and chairman of it. They are best in class operators by a country mile. They outrun, they run circles around their competitors. Capital allocation is breathtaking. These folks have put together an entity of almost 60 companies putting up almost 30% returns. One deal out of 60 maybe has gone a little bit off shape, but they've done 60 M&A transactions from private equity. And then, you know, Nick, I just have to tell you, and again, this is resonant to the theme of today. When you find a leader like Nick Howley, please, please, please don't rent them. Marry them, right? <laughs> you don't need many people like a Charlie Munger Warren Buffett and Nick Howley in your life. Matter of fact, you, if you're, you know, it's like your friends. If you die with five great friends in your life, you've, you've crushed it in life. Well, the same is true for your portfolio. If you find the super elites who've chosen a great business, highly ethical, incredibly capable, hungry as hell, and they're aligned with you, just really find a way to, to, to anchor deep into them. And, and Nick, by the way, coming back to the straights and turns, it went down 65% aftermarket demand in COVID. Like the whole world stopped, planes stopped flying. These guys, you saw see them in action. It was like the matrix. They were like, the bullets were flying. They knew exactly what they were doing. And like, when you see people under pressure performing at that level, I mean, you just got to stop and pay homage to that. It's just like, wow, this is a company that generated almost a billion of free cash flow during the worst <laughs> aerospace crisis in the history. It's like, this was incredible. And this business did 40% EBITDA margins <laughs> when the planes stopped flying. I mean, it's like, you got to go, these are almost a misprint. How is that even possible? That's what best-in-class leadership does. Mm. 
Yeah, there is so much I love about that answer. I love the fact that it's a company I hadn't heard of before, but I love the passion that you have <laughs> yeah. for a company. It is just great to see and it's why we love having these conversations because the the amount of effort and work that you and your team would have put into understanding this company, understanding this position, but the passion that you would have put into that work as well is, is something to really behold. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> so uh, the final question that we normally end these interviews with is, uh, if you think back to your younger self uh, as a teenager in Australia buying Santos, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, the first and most important one to everybody is make sure you have a crazy amount of fun, whatever you choose. Look, life is short, but yet it's a real privilege to be able to be on this journey. Um, so, you know, yes, take the mission seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. Have a lot of fun. That's point one. And I think the most important. Here's the stuff from an investment perspective. You got to work out what matters. Very few things matter, but the things that matter really, really matter. So study the patterns of the outliers for the time frame and the style that fits you. So that's point one is work out what really matters and find those patterns. The second part is it's got to match who you are. Just because you know you like Warren Buffett's style of investing doesn't, and you've got you've got ADD and you've got to be able to trade every day. The two don't match up. You got to match up who you are with the style. And then the last one, which cannot be underestimated either, is you need design. You need to build a structure that enhances your traits and your strategy and lets it thrive. So the first step again is know what matters. And that comes down to frameworks and pattern recognition. You can study it. That's a deployable skill. The second then is knowing who you are. That's introspection and frankly experience. You need to go through a few things to work out who you are. It's not something you can work out day one. Third, and the third part of that is you've got to work within a structure and a design that enhances and reinforces your strengths, builds patience, allows the insights to flow. And when the three come together, oh my God, it is so much fun. And, uh, you know, don't take it too seriously, but go really hard at it. And if you focus your effort there, you'll get to your end goal much quicker than you think. Mm. Nice one. Love that. That's some great advice. Now, Yen, uh, that's normally where we would end the interview. But for the HM1 speakers, we do have one final question. Uh, Charlie Munger is going to be speaking at the conference, which is uh, just incredibly exciting for everyone. If you had five minutes uh, alone with Charlie, what's one thing that you would ask him? So the most important question I have, and Charlie's obviously been incredibly gracious in sharing knowledge with the world, uh, you know, over the multiple decades, but, and he's talked a lot. And this is, again, the most important theme I wanted to share with you guys today was I ultimately, I think the biggest difference is people. I really think this, you know, Charlie uh, and, and Warren Buffett, and there was actually a third guy in Berkshire Hathaway called Rick Guerin were the three guys who like created a community around them that they invested alongside one another for multiple decades. And like, you know, Rick got taken out in 73, 74, he was over 11 and they bought him out. That's why you don't read as much about Rick, but he was actually part of the original Berkshire trio. But the main thing I wanted to understand from, from Charlie is he's talked a lot about the traits of the people that he like reverse engineer, invert your life. These are the things you want to model yourself over. But what I'm most curious about is what his, his practical tests are. So these people have over the years become incredibly gifted on spotting aligning and partnering with some of the best managers in the world. Their reputation clearly is extraordinary, but I'm just curious at a tactical level, what do they actually do to test for all the traits they're looking at? Bring it down to a level that we, the average Joes have a ch chance of like applying it and going, okay, 
that's someone I want to partner with, or that's a clear no. What gives them conviction in their community? I personally think, and as I'm, as I've become a little bit more mature in, in, in my investing, can't stress this enough, guys. It's like, I think people are by a mile your best investment. There's optionality inherent in great people that you can't quantify. And, you know, one of my investors said this to me and really gave me the, the powerful insight in the language is you can't, two, two final quotes on this one is one is, look, you can't always guarantee you're going to win. But when you back really high quality people, you never actually lose. And then so one of my you know, fellow portfolio managers gave me another quote, which I loved. It's like, you're always going to lose money in investing. It's just an inherent part of the game. You might as well do it with people that you actually like, <laughs> right? Because it's just going to happen. And so if you stack your stable full of people that are highly honorable, work really hard, highly capable, they generally find a way to make sure you win overall. And so that's my real question to Charlie is like, it's clear that, 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 you know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have done an extraordinary job of curating a world-class team around them and a community around them. And, you know, what is it that they tactically do to differentiate what they view as stars that they want to partner with and those that they don't? Well, hopefully Charlie opens it up to a bit of a Q&A because I'd love to know the answer to that question yeah. as well. <laughs> Thanks, Yen. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Um, I'm feeling so inspired just listening to your enthusiasm for investing in stocks and, and your process. And I think, you know, our community would have taken so much enjoyment from that interview as well, so much value. And um, yeah, we both learn a lot. So thank you so much for sharing your time. And, and we look forward to hearing your whopper of a pitch at the Hearts and Minds conference coming up. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for this uh, for this privilege. And, and I wish you, you and your, your listeners all the best. And I honestly, I mean this. I can't wait to come home and actually have some fun with you all. Thanks, Jan. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.